0: Great. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so, um, I had a slideshow there. Uh, I just want to open in prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for your saving power. Um, thank you for your majesty, Lord, your authority, and who you are. Um, Lord, I, I pray that you would guide my words this morning and um, just help me to uh, follow close to your word, Lord, and, and just to be um, dependent on you. And I pray that this would be a blessing to, to people and a challenge to people as well. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so my message this morning is titled, Jesus Mighty to Save. It's about three sinners that Jesus saved in the Bible. Um, number one is the helpless sinner. They all start with H, because that's the best way to remember it. The helpless sinner, the habitual sinner, and the hurtful sinner. So there's three types. There's many different types. My mom actually reminded me of the thief on the cross, who was the hopeless sinner. And there's different people, but I, I think the Lord is guiding me to, to pick three specific ones here. Um... So I want to open with, sorry, just a second. Got to get my Bible. So I want to I open with, uh, if we could turn to the book of Mark, chapter 2. And we're going to go to the helpless sinner. Many of you who have attended Sunday school, or church, or read the Bible, I'm sure know this story quite well. Mark chapter 2, verse one, verses 1 to 12. And I'm just going to discuss it. I'm going to discuss some significant uh, parts of this, and then we'll continue on. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there and questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, uh, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that uh, they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So... In this situation, uh, I found it interesting, I actually didn't really put two and two together before, that this is actually, apparently the house that Jesus was staying in. I actually thought it was just a house that, you know, but this was his home, if you will. I mean, he, he wasn't, he didn't really have a home throughout the Gospels, but this was basically Jesus' home. This was God's house, essentially. And this is someone who had absolutely no power to come into God's home, God's house, the house of the Lord. And um, he had some people who helped him <laughs> get in there, but Jesus welcomed him in. Jesus welcomed him into his house. Um, it's interesting, just some of the little things you pick up. You know, I've, I've heard this story, read this story many times. Um, it's interesting as well that the first thing that jesus says to this man rather than oh i see this man sick you know rather than acknowledging that the first thing that god sees is the sin problem that jesus sees this this man has a problem it's a very obvious glaring issue and everyone's like yeah it is and he's like his sins and they're like okay <laughs> you know so i'm i'm sure um To have your sins forgiven is the first and foremost uh, issue that we have. That's the first and foremost, uh, you know, struggle of humanity is sin. And so, um, yeah, so he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And that's a very definite statement. Your sins are forgiven. You, you've come to me you know, for help. You've come to the throne of grace, if you will, and I'm I'm forgiving your sins. And, of course, I, I think God's timing, Jesus' timing in this situation was, was amazing, just like his, his ability to, he says, your sins are forgiven first, and then he heals them later. And it was to demonstrate. It was basically to cause these Pharisees to question and cause them to think, well, why is he saying that? You know, what kind of power does he have? And then he heals the man and he shows his power. Um, let's go to just to kind of back up. I mean, God is, and the Pharisees were correct when they said God is the only one who can forgive sins. Um, I know that on earth here there are some faiths and some people who believe that men can forgive sins. And people will go to other people, and they'll say things like, you know, so-and-so has forgiven me. I'm actually not going to mention any names. I don't think it's really valuable, but I just want to make the blanket statement. No human being is able to forgive your sins. Not a single human being. There is no human being who is able to do that, except for Jesus Christ. He's the only one, and people say things like, it's taken me forever to forgive myself, and and all these things. We can't forgive ourselves. We can't. Do that unless God forgives us. And once God does that, once God removes our transgressions and forgives us, he remembers them no more. So, therefore, that's what we need to do. We need to be able to move forward from our transgressions and follow God. So, I want to read from Isaiah 43 and verse 25. just a simple verse that demonstrates God's power over, you know, over our sin. I am, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, I will not remember your sins. So this is, this is God's authority. God is the one who's able, you know, if, if any one of our human friends forgets our sins, that's, that's cool, that's fine. But God, our creator, the one who created the world, the one who has all the authority. He's the one who's chosen to remember our sins no more if we come to him and if we bow the knee before him. Um, Hebrews 10. I'm going to get it. You know, we're going to be jumping all over the place. Feel free if you don't want to turn there. That's okay. I should have put it up there, but I'll read it very clearly. Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 4. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered, made year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered. Sorry, yeah. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. This is, kind of, this is an emphasis of the Pharisees looking at Jesus, healing, saying, your sins are forgiven to this man. And they're coming from this background, sacrifices, year after year, remembering their sins every year, reminding themselves of where they stand before God. Um, verse 4, but it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is an impossible problem. We are helpless, just like this man, this paralytic. It was impossible for him to get in the house until they let him down through the roof, but it was, it was impossible for him to do anything of his own ability, and this man was helpless, just like us. We are absolutely helpless before God. Uh, it's impossible for a man to take away your sins. It's impossible for someone to forgive you unless they are God. It is also impossible for blood, of animals, goats and bulls and goats to take away sins. Um, And so, Jesus in this case is literally declaring himself to be God. The other, uh, um, and then in the last half of this, the last little part of this chapter, God, Jesus heals the man he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. He demonstrates his power. Uh, he, he backs it up. He backs his ability to forgive our sins and, he, and to forgive this man. And this man gets up and walks. And he walks out. He takes his bed up and he, he walks out. And everyone is amazed. And that's, that's the end of that story. I want to share another verse just simply... We'll come back to the helpless sinner and we'll talk about it a little further. But I just want to share uh, Romans 5. Sorry, yeah, Romans 5 verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, Weak can be translated helpless. I think there's actually some versions. I think it might be the King James that says helpless. I'm not sure. But But this is a verse that demonstrates, God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. And so we'll come back to the helpless sinner. There's, there's more to say on that. But I'm gonna move on to the habitual sinner, the, per, the person who has many, many sins. And I don't know if any of us can relate to this person. Um, I know for sure I can. I can relate to this, the person who um, has many sins and is maybe well-known for sinning. I mean... This is a, so this is a very public sinner. Uh, let's turn to Luke chapter seven and starting in verse 36. There we go. Excellent. I'm gonna read the chapter and we're gonna talk about this, this sinner that Jesus forgave. One of the Pharisees, this is, uh, Jesus is dining with, um, oh yeah, okay, so uh, I'll just read the chapter. The Bible is sufficient in and of itself. It gives a lot of background. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster uh, flask of ointment and standing uh, standing behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed, uh, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of a woman this is for, uh, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon said, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And He said, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he, sa- uh, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say them among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is, uh, this, this is a big chapter with a lot of, or a big section with a lot of, a lot of information. And uh, I think I could preach a whole message on this, just this alone. These uh this is a woman who has many sins and many like people know who she is. This man at least this Pharisee knows who she is. Knows that she's kind of infamous. And she comes to Jesus and she washes his feet and she's weeping. And she has a broken and contrite heart. And um there's I think this chapter can be a little confusing at times Sometimes I want to I wanna mention some of the doctrine in this about washing Jesus' feet, the, the metaphor for that. Um, the one who is saved from many sins or saved from uh, very ugly sins, uh, Jesus is saying the result of being forgiven from that is that they will perform mighty works for God. Rather than these mighty works are what saves them. That's not what saves this person. It's, it's their faith. He says at the end of the chapter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, what he's illustrating here is that the result of being saved from many ugly sins uh, brings forth good works. It brings forth fruit. And God can be fruitful in many different people. And we're going to read about a Pharisee who produced a lot of fruit for the Lord Jesus. So it's not so much about how many sins you have, because I think most of us are all in the same boat. We have a lot of sins. We're all in the same boat. We're all, we all, we're all habitual sinners by nature. By nature, we're children of wrath. And so um, I wanted to point that out. Uh, though, your skin, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Um, Psalm 103, sorry, one, Psalm, yes, Psalm 103, 30, th- sorry, 103 <laughs> verse 3. He forgives all your iniquity. So it, if, you're, uh, if you're a sinner and you know that you've committed a lot of sins, that's not going to stop God from forgiving you. We're going to move forward. This is uh, three kind of quick things, and we're going to come back to each one of these. So Acts chapter 9, this is a big one. Probably the one I'm going to spend the most time on today. I'm just going to start reading. And most of us, I think everyone in this room, likely knows who this person is. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said, uh, said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, uh, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision. Uh, a man named Ananias come in and lay uh, seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, "Lord, I've heard, uh, heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, "Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name." Uh, before the Gentiles and the kings of the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he has to suffer for my sake, uh, for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laid his hands on, uh, and laying his hands on him, he said, "Brother Saul, uh, the Lord Jesus who has appeared to you on the road uh, by which you came has sent to me, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit." And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. So, this is a, a well known person in the Bible. This is Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who later was named Paul. When we, uh, we read many, many of his letters, I mean, he, he wrote many letters to the church, and many of them are in the scriptures. I'm going to be quoting a few of those today. He was a zealous persecutor of the early church. Paul was involved in, oh yeah, we'll, we'll move on to the next slide there, the hurtful sinner. This is Paul, Saul of Tarsus. He was a zealous persecutor of the early church. So he's the guy to the far right, and he's standing over by, I don't know if you can see the coats on the floor, on the, on the ground there, this is the stoning of Stephen. So he actually was involved in killing one of the early uh, disciples. He was, uh, he was the one, everybody, he said, hey, everybody, give your coats to me and go kill him. And uh, just so that, you know, he said, well, you know, you can throw a rock a lot better when, you're, uh, when your coat's off. So this is Paul. I mean, this is Saul. This is who he was. He wanted to see Christians killed. He wanted to see Christians put in prison. And... He was, um, like Ananias said, uh, I've heard about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Saul of Tarsus was an evil man. He was an evil, scary person. And he really wanted to harm the church, harm everybody in the church. But God saved him. God reached out. Jesus himself, went and approached him on the road to Damascus. And he would go on, after his forgiveness, he would go on to become a great instrument for the Lord. So, we're gonna move back a little bit. We're gonna talk about the helpless sinner. Why does, why does God choose to save helpless sinners? So, why would, if you're on a sports team say you're playing some ball hockey with your buddies or something like that or basketball or whatever and you have this system of two captains okay you've one captain and a second captain you're first captain who are you going to choose on your team are you going to pick the let's say it's basketball are you going to pick the the guy who's 4 foot 1 and he's you know he's out of shape and whatever or are you going to pick the guy who's like 6 foot 8 and he can he can drain one from like half court Without looking. Which, which one are you going to pick? Who are you going to pick? Probably the tall guy, I would say. So, why does God choose to save helpless sinners? Why does God want helpless sinners on his team? This is an interesting, um, an interesting question. I think uh, it's, it's to demonstrate the power of God. I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'm gonna keep on reading in this passage. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the, uh, and, and the, discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Uh, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the de- uh, debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the, uh, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God uh, through, the, through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews a fo- and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Uh, So God at his weakest is stronger than than the strongest person. And God uses weak people. He uses people who are flawed. He uses people who are weak, who are dumb. (laughs) Many of these different things. He uses us who are Absolutely flawed to accomplish His will and to uh, to do powerful things because He has the power. He has it all. So this is why he, I, I believe this is one of the main reasons why He chooses to to save helpless sinners, and it's to demonstrate His power. Uh, at the end of the day, it's all about Him. It's all about His power being displayed. How does God save habitual sinners? Or why does he save habitual sinners? Uh, I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 2 for this one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived the passion uh lived oh wait, sorry lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind this is this is our state we're habitual sinners we're by nature children of wrath this is what we do as human beings uh the number 1 commandment is love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength or the the first the, the most important commandment, not the number one, I guess, but the, the most important commandment is that. And that means that every single thing we do, every single thought we think, needs to be to the glory of God. Otherwise, it's disobedience to God. And that's just where we stand. We are by nature children of wrath. We are unable to do that. I don't do that. I don't think anyone else here does that without the power of God in them. And so... It looks pretty bleak there, doesn't it? Verse four, and I I love this verse. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to pay attention to verse seven. It's, It's a very important verse. This is the whole point of our salvation. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's all about him. It's his, uh, it's, this is the riches of his grace. We can observe the riches of his grace um, because of his salvation. This is why he saved us. It's to, to put on display his riches and his grace. So, God chose to save a natural sinner, a dead in their trespasses and sins sinner. Why would he save a hurtful sinner? This is a tough one. This is an actually very difficult one because it can be a stumbling block for a lot of people. And this is talking about Saul of Tarsus, the hurtful sinner. This is also talking about me. I can be hurtful. This is talking about any one of us. And that's kind of my first point. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 11. I'm going to read it. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. These are all harmful people. Many of them are harmful people. And verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. All sinners, we, we, we are all sinners. Such were some of you. We, we've all been harmful at times. This can be a challenge because people think of the victims. I mean, yes, there's people like, like Stephen right here in the, who's being stoned. There, there's someone there who their life was taken from them without, without really any cause. But Paul was forgiven for that. And we don't know why God allows those things always. I mean, I just read, I just did the book of Job. God never really answers why he let Job suffer. But God is present and he knows he he does what is right. Won't not the judge of all the earth do right? Um I was going to I was going to speak on Jonah at some point and I'm hoping to speak on Jonah still at some point. But I'm going to read a little bit from Jonah because Jonah was a man who struggled with exactly this. Why does God forgive harmful people? Why does God forgive people who are doing harm? And I, I always like to ask the question about, like, who's really the bad guy in the book of Jonah? And at the end of the day, he's actually the antagonist in this book. So it's interesting. <laughs> he, uh, I mean, he, he preaches the gospel, and that's, that's good. He preaches to, for people to be saved. But The lesson is for Jonah in this book. In in this book, it's amazing. Uh, Jonah, chapter three, verse six. The word reached the king of Nineveh. This is Jonah's preaching. Reached the word of the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call, mighty, call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn it from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. But uh, when God saw... When God saw what they did, uh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that He had that He said would come to them, Um, and He did not do it. Um, After that, Jonah becomes bitter because this this group of people, this city, was performing evil. They were actually, it says, they were performing violence, and this city was a very evil city. They turned from their sin. They, they turned to God and pleaded for forgiveness and God granted that to them. So Jonah was actually upset about that because I think he saw what evil was going on in the city and I, I genuinely think it was probably very horrible things. And God gives him um, kind of a lesson. He, he grew, basically, he grew a tree for Jonah to sit under that provided him shade. And he took that tree away. So God provided, and he took away. And he's demonstrating to Jonah, I'm the one who makes things new. I'm the one who makes an evil person follow after me. I'm the one who turns people's hearts away from their sin and towards myself. We're all in the same boat. We're all under the Lord. We're all sinners. And we're all at God's mercy. And that that's just an important lesson from Jonah, and I think, um, and at the end of the chapter, I don't think it doesn't say that Jonah ever understood that or got it, but we'll leave it at that. We'll have faith that maybe maybe Jonah did turn to Christ, uh, turn to God after that. Um, I'm gonna read from some of Paul's own own words about being a harmful sinner. First um, Timothy, First Timothy, chapter one and verse 13 first, first Timothy chapter 1 verse 13 we're going to we're going to move on right here though I formerly was a blasphemer persecutor an insolent opponent but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus Notice all these good things that are from God. These are not things. Jonah, or, uh, sorry, Paul is not saying because I was doing my best, God reached out with His mercy. He says I was acting ignorant and unbelief. I was in, I was completely wrong, and it was the grace of the Lord. It was His mercy, His faith, and His love that reached to me and saved me. Nothing of Jonah's, or <laughs> of Paul's. Uh, of himself. Um, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, uh, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And to the to the King of of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, Amen. This is uh, this is Paul's. Um, these are his own words. Uh, he is the chief of sinners, but just like in Ephesians, in Ephesians two verse seven, the the whole purpose of God saving a harmful, hurtful sinner is to display his perfect patience. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's all about him. So I want to leave us with that. I think uh, it's a lot to think about. And I want to pray that we can forgive people who have harmed us as well. There is some verses in the the Bible that talk about pray for those who use you in, in bad ways, spitefully use you. Pray for those who harm you. Pray, pray for those who hate you, and love our enemies. And this is this is an important uh, an important thing. So, um, yeah, we want to see God's work. We're gonna sing "Mighty to Save," if you haven't guessed from uh, from that. <laughs> That's the uh, title of the message. So I guess we'll sing the title of the message. There's many songs we could sing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pray and then we'll we'll sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day Lord, thank you for your power to salvation, thank you for your purpose in salvation, um, for using us Lord to to display your mercy and your grace. I just pray that you would um, you would help us to glorify you and honor you and Lord, that we would love you much because you've forgiven us much Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see our sin so that we can see your love, Lord, that we can, we can look at our sin and say, the Lord has forgiven me of many things, and that rather than focusing on our sin, we would focus on you because of it, Lord. Um, I just pray that we would focus on your love and your mercy today. In Jesus' name, amen.